BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Where we continue to follow the capture and killing of Osama bin Laden now. Those are just some of the scenes overnight as thousands of Americans gathered in celebration of Osama bin Laden's death. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill says he has thought about the mission every day since that May Day in 2011. Multiple conversations you had with Rob O'Neill over the past year and a half. How'd you get and you described that his head kind of exploded yes. when you hit him. I, I actually hit him three times. I shot him twice when he was standing and once on the ground. That is the fucking American badass. We are not going for fame and we are not going for bravado. We are going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday morning and then 45 minutes later she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper. If you need help, hang up and then dial your operator. I'm Rob O'Neill, and this is the Operator Podcast. All right, this is episode 11 of the Operator Podcast. I am Robert O'Neill, and I'm happy to have you with me and joining me through this uh, escapade so far. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, as, as usual, with anything, we, um, we talk about planning, and we talk about preparation, and usually your plan doesn't work the way you planned. So uh, that's the case with uh, what's happening this week with me. I was coming into this one today. I wanted to talk about leadership, the economy, um, a lot of reasons, you know, uh, mastering the basics, the simplification of what's going on and how it affects everyone else. It's not uh, just being surrounded by people who are yes men, but actually what affects you and how that should affect how that should affect everything you do from how you talk to people, how you listen to people, how you shout down people, um, and how you vote. Don't be shouting people down. It's always good to hear both sides. So I came in with that plan, and like everything else, it changed because I don't know if you've noticed, but I have a tendency to be there um, when stuff happens. Um, uh, You know, as I mentioned, (laughs) ad nauseum, I was on the mountain when we went after Marcus the Trouble and Survivor, I was the lead jumper for Captain Richard Phillips. Um, I was on the Bin Laden raid in Bin Laden's room shop in Laden. Uh, I was on the base when Bo Bergdahl walked off. If you're not familiar with that, and again, if I've told this story before, it's because, um, oh, well, normally I'd say you can only be so many places at so many times, but I'm going to get into the point. But I'm going I'm to talk a little bit about the Bo Bergdahl thing. So Bo Bergdahl was that American... Um, soldier, an infantry guy who walked off of a base in Pactica province in June of 2009. So I was still with Red Squadron. We had just done 
the rescue a few months earlier in April of 2009 of, of Richard Phillips. So we're deployed, we being Red Squadron, um, when Bo Bergdahl walked off the base. And there's a, there's a bunch of different... You know, it got political to the point where eventually Bo Bergdahl was released in exchange for five Taliban commanders. At the time, obviously, front page thing. Um, Democrats loved it because President Obama did it. Republicans hated it because we shouldn't have done it. The negotiations sucked. We shouldn't have given them back. When it all comes down to it, we fucking gave the whole country back. Who cares? But um, there was there was some conflict about what happened with Bo Bergdahl. And they're saying, was I guess the thing was he he was over there and he was a loner, but he was like quiet, and he was he wasn't a problem, and he would like do weird martial arts type stuff, not not like jujitsu with someone else, but like doing katas and tai chi and shit by himself. And um, when he left the base, his stuff was neatly stacked, and it was everything from you know he fell behind on a patrol, even though there were no patrols that night in June of two thousand nine, uh, that he that someone grabbed him from the latrine, which I think is a, if you can get on base and grab a. A soldier from the shitter. That's your. You got your shit together. That's a really good uh, snatch and grab and a grab and go. Whatever they call it. Um, or uh, I guess he. May, they said he was at a, at a at an outpost from the the fob, uh, and he was with the locals and he got drunk. Which I mean, hey, I wasn't with them, so that could have happened. But what what um, the story that I heard is he was really close to one of his officers who got killed. Before that, and he was like writing correspondence back and forth, he being Bo Bergdahl to his father. And his dad said, when it comes to ethics and war, just do what's in your heart, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think he walked off. And uh, the story that we got was, so we're deployed. I'm at, I'm at uh, forward operating base Sharana. And Bergdahl was like there also, but on one of the OPs. Um, and our other, so my troop was on Sharana. The other troop was in Jalalabad at Jabad at the airfield. And uh, we were doing all kinds of shit going on, uh, missions and whatnot, you know, living the dream or what the fuck ever, Afghanistan, because we're eventually going to win this thing, right? Right. So um, w- anyway, we would work at night. So we would wake up like the, the sun's going to go down in two hours. So you got to grab your coffee, go to the tactical operations center, the talk, find out what, what is planned, if there's any missions or what we can potentially hit. Are we going to do a, a hostage rescue this time? Or are we going to do a direct action? Or are we going to strike to develop or just go out and big tough frog minute which we can get into later i think it's the, mo- the most ridiculous shit you can do but we walk in there and they said um yeah this this dude walked off base and we're like what wait what do you mean he walked off base like yeah they woke up and this guy walked off base and we're like well how do you know he walked off and again this is my story but this is what i heard and i've been to a couple different places and and for some reason i'm always there um they said, yeah, he, he walked off because these locals found him and they called the Taliban and said, we found an American soldier. Do you want him? And the Taliban replied, they're intercepting their, our, we, our intel guys are intercepting their phone calls and listening to interpreters. And they said, what do you mean you found him? And they said, we found him on the road, on the side of the road, taking a shit. Do you want him? And the Taliban said, oh yeah, we want him and he'll never shit right again. So that's bad. Uh, and then, so the Taliban grabbed him, and the first thing they're going to do is hightail it to Pakistan. They're going to get him to the Haqqanis, but, so we got a little bit of time. So we stopped everything that we're doing for this dickhead that walked off base, and now we're trying to rescue him. I mean, we have to. He made a bad decision. Fair enough. I don't think he's a collaborator, a traitor, deserter, whatever, but we got to get him. We'll, we'll get him, and we'll s- smack his peepee when he gets back. It's better than getting fisted in the butthole. But, uh, he, so now we're moving, and so our team in JBAD's launching. We're launching. My team from Sharana, we got so close to this guy 
but but it's dangerous because now we went from doing uh, safe inserts, not necessarily even on the Y, but doing an offset a few clicks away and walking into a target to lower our signature, our noise signature, so the enemy doesn't know we're coming. We're we're landing on the X now. We're and we're I'm talking when we're landing in 47s on the X. We even have you know we have the best pilots in the world with TF160, but now we're on the X and dudes are running out of these targets and you're getting off and it's you know it's it's scary for them because I mean just imagine being a normal dude in your man jammies sleeping in you know as they do on the floor and a 47 lands in your fucking yard you're going to run out i mean you might just be defending yourself you don't know we don't know it's very dangerous suicide bombers could be we don't know but we're doing missions and we got so close on one of these missions that we actually were finding these wads of cash that were being paid like you know because it's the taliban's like they're they're criminals Haqqani are criminals and terrorists but they're working like you know the sopranos they're like feeding money doing this and we're doing this give the boss whatever give him his envelope we're finding these envelopes <clears throat> we think that was the um was the the end was th that's the ransom for Burgo. We're getting really close to him. Um, one night we're on a mission. We're out in the field, and our guys from from JBAD landed there again. We're, they're just landing where we think we can. They happen to land right on top of a couple fixed gun positions, a couple PKMs, and we're taking fire. They were taking fire. I wasn't there yet, <clears throat> and the fire was so bad. One of our guys, uh, you might have read the story, uh, Jimmy Hatch, senior chief, fucking phenomenal dude. He he got shot in the. Um, in the femur, uh, and that'll kill you. You can bleed out in no time. You get hit in the femoral artery. He got hit there, really bad injury, life-threatening injury. Uh, one of our dogs from, from that troop, Remco, was killed. We inserted to uh, kind of do a, an immediate reaction force for them, and it was just a weird gunfights, guys. I mean, guys were professional shit. Guys were awesome and very, very experienced Navy SEAL gunfighters. We had rangers with us, you know, um, but we didn't have to be there. Because we're we're looking for this dude, Bull Burgo, and uh, so one of our guys got hit. One of our dogs was killed. I think all in all, uh, six guys from Burgdahl's unit were killed trying to find him. Um, another one of his officers was, or no, I'm sorry, one of his master sergeant was uh, shot in the head and became paralyzed, and he couldn't speak um, until he died. Uh, they there was a, a cop Keating in Afghanistan was going to be closed that month. But it couldn't get closed because we had to move resources to find Bergdahl, and that place was overrun. And I hope I'm right. I think I mean I I I don't want to be right. I think nine guys were killed at Cop Keating, and they just because they couldn't ex they couldn't get out because all of this you know it's the butterfly effect like I've mentioned before, and that's just the way shit goes downhill, and it's just uh it fucking sucks um, because of a guy that made it what he thought was an ethical decision. Maybe he had bad leadership or maybe he was a bad dude, but then he gets captured by the Taliban and now he's, um, he's uh, in Pakistan. He's near Kata, Pakistan. He's, he's, he, uh, they never mentioned him by name, but they showed his dog tags and they, you know, they're saying whatever they're saying. He's teaching the, the bad guys tactics now and he's doing all that bullshit and whatever a PFC can uh, private first class can teach. Uh, and he, so here's, so afterwards, um, and he did get released. This is years later, and I was out of the Navy, and I was doing some stuff. I, I was working uh, on TV, and I was asked about Bergdahl, and they're saying, well, he's a traitor, and he needs to. He was eventually dishonorably discharged, which is really bad, and like had to pay a fine. Um, and they were saying, well, should he be put in, uh, you know, Leavenworth for the rest of his life as a traitor? And my thoughts on this personally were, well, you know what? he's kind of paid a pretty big penance. Like, he might just need a psychiatrist for the rest of his life. Because if you think the way I'm thinking, as opposed to playing a game or being on the range and being tactical tactical Johnny with my my guns, actually being on the ground and seeing combat, 
seeing the enemy, seeing the locals, but seeing the savagery of what a lot of these people can do, the horrible things men can do to one another in war, especially when they're the enemy. I mean, we're the good guys, and we've done some fucked up shit. These are the bad guys, and he's in their control. So what I'm thinking is this guy, um, he, was, he was a PFC when he walked off. While he was in captivity, he did get promoted a few times, you know, in absentia. But he's also being used as a rubber fuck doll for every foreign fighter that comes in from the Middle East. So yeah, you're 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 getting your 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 boar punched. You did make sergeant. Huh. Anyway, my whole point with Bergdahl was um, um, that one of the things that I was there for that I personally saw just being there um, that happened again today. Not to, I'm sorry, this week. Um, I'm talking about it today, but it happened this week. Uh, the other day, um, I went into um, into Fox News to do a show with um, Piers Morgan, who's a buddy of mine. And again, I mentioned before that you shouldn't shout people down. You should hear people out. Piers Morgan is like the classic liberal. And most of his, I know a lot of you people listening are saying, well, he's an anti-gun nut. Just listen, okay? There's going to be a solution. Really smart dude. I, I mean, okay, so I'm not, I'm not pitching everyone's books, but his book, Wake Up, is awesome. Uh, he sent me a copy. I read it during the, the pandemic. Uh, great guy. Love the guy. And so I'm in his show with, uh, with um, Joe Concha, who's a, a Fox News guy. Um, he just wrote a book. I got to pitch that to. He wrote a book called "Come On, Man: The Truth About Joe Biden's Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Presidency," uh, and then uh, Ari Fleischer. So I'm there with uh, with Ari Fleischer. Uh, he was a press secretary during 9/11 um, uh, under President Bush. So he was there for all of that. Uh, great uh, press secretary. And he, you know, uh, he he was a there when we invaded Iraq, and obviously I had feeling I had feelings then about going in and then feelings now and they differ but another he was I think the country loved him if you look back or read some of his books Ari Fleischer is awesome and the way he handled the press he was someone that told me the other day that uh, if if you get used to chaos if everything's chaos then that just becomes normal and only um, only speak if you can improve the silence that's pretty cool anyway so it's 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 I'm at Fox News and I, I used to work at Fox News I was um, I was a contributor at Fox News for two years and I, I did leave there we we let the contract expire because i went to go on to do other tv stuff uh i actually was doing a really kick-ass shark show for a major company and we had it done we were going to put it on the air but they canceled me because apparently on twitter i'm not inclusive enough we will get into that later and the show is awesome i'm not going to mention who they are what the show is man i wish that would have aired it's pretty badass it's proof that we're not in the menu because I assure you, I was swimming by myself with just a drone a couple miles off the California coast looking for great whites. Yeah. There, if I was on the menu, I wouldn't be here talking. But uh, so we're there. And the reason we were there is we had a, a the panel. It's me, Joe Concha, and, and Ari Fleischer. And we're at Piers Morgan's show. And we're having a panel because Piers is conducting an interview with John Hinckley Jr. Now, if you need a second to Google that name, John Hinckley Jr., is uh, he attempted to assassinate President Ronald Reagan in March of 1981. You know, he just got inaugurated. He's leaving. John Hinckley Jr. was so crazy. He was stalking Jimmy Carter, the president prior to Reagan, um, because of a movie called Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver is a movie about a crazy person stalking uh, someone that wants to get this 12-year-old girl who's a prostitute and being... uh, uh, (sighs) <sighs> you know, she's a sex slave. That 
movie was based on an assassination attempt of a guy by the name of George Wallace, who was a politician, segregationist, and all this stuff. Uh, so John Hinckley Jr. saw that. Uh, an actress by the name of Jodie Foster was in the movie Taxi Driver, and John Hinckley Jr. fell enamored with Jodie Foster, so he starts stalking her, sort of. She went to a college. I don't know which one. I think it was Ivy League, but he went there to stalk her, and here's how nutso he was. John Hinckley Jr. was going to get her attention by killing himself in front of her. You know, take the good with the bad. You're going to get her attention. Not a lot to do after that. <laughs> you know, hopefully I have a buddy that can clean that shit up. But So he's going to get her attention, but he figures because of an assassination attempt based on the movie Taxi Driver, he will assassinate a president and get Jodie Foster's attention. So he went after Carter, stalked him, couldn't find him. Reagan gets elected. He's coming out of a... Uh, I think an AFL CIO meeting, whatever, a lot of acronyms in DC. He's walking out. Hinckley's got a 22 caliber revolver and he fires all six with Devastator ammo. Now, I don't know how crazy you are, but if you buy ammo that's called a Devastator, it's to kill. The Devastator, if you look it up, and again, a lot of you gun guys can help me out with this. I haven't Googled it. I'm assuming it's designed to explode again in your body and kill you. So he shot... Um, he shot um, three dudes, shot a police officer, one Secret Service agent who was badass, who actually turned into the fire. And that's part of a, I've done some uh, personal security details. That's some shady shit because I'm a big believer when someone shoots at you, it's, uh, you know, find cover concealment, shoot, move, communicate. But on a detail, you need to cover the, the, um, the president in this case. So he did that. He got shot. And then uh, he also shot his press secretary, Brady. Um, and Brady was permanently paralyzed, lost a lot of his speech. He was actually, uh, Press Secretary Brady um, was the reason the Brady Bill, which is gun control, um, uh, five-day waiting period. He sponsored that, uh, and he died, I think, 33 years later. He did hit President Reagan with a ricochet that went under the president's armpit and should have killed him. And it was to the point, like, President, it, it made his legend larger because he's going to a hospital now in the D.C. area, and I got to look up which one it is, but I guess, and he, you get shot in the chest. I don't give a shit if it's a ricochet. If you get hit in the chest with a fucking bowling ball, you're in trouble. He got shot in the chest. The president's on the damn operating table in D.C., and uh, I guess he looked up before he went under anesthesia, and he said, I hope all of you are Republicans, <laughs> which is awesome. And, like, he lived, um, Reagan, obviously he lived, served uh, two terms, and there, there's, like, footage of him being at a, at a speech where a balloon, you know, because those ridiculous uh, political rallies with the fucking balloons, a balloon pops when he's up there and everyone ducks and Reagan looks around and goes, miss me this time or some shit like that. That's it. Anyway, so we're at Fox News. Me being um, someone that's there, seems to be there a lot, uh, just there. Um, so John, we're, Piers Morgan is interviewing John Hinckley Jr. via satellite, but he's on the TV in front of him. So he's in Williamsburg, Virginia. We're up in New York City at Fox News headquarters. Uh, and, um, Piers is t and Piers is really good at, at uh, interviewing people. He's a good interview. Smart dude, knows how to ask. And <laughs> Hinckley Jr. is kind of creepy. He wants to do these concerts, like, like play concerts, like a one-man band. I don't know if it's got the fucking bass drum on your back and the harmonica necklace, whatever. But he's trying to sell these out, and he says, for some reason, the venues keep canceling. It's like, well, yeah. Because anyway, he did get out. He was, he was found not guilty due to insanity, right? And he's been under psychiatric care, and he admitted he was taking the psychiatric drugs, but he's kind of been out 
for a while. Not like he's been out, out now. He's by himself. He's living and he's talking about shopping in Williamsburg, Virginia, and people recognize him. Blah, blah, blah. And most people don't really know he, who he was unless you remember the assassination attempt. Like if, if he killed Reagan, you'd, you'd remember him. But um, kind of, you know, like either the, you know, the guy who killed Kennedy or the CIA killed, whatever. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, but um, anyway, so he's there talking. He, he, the, 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 the press secretary, Brady, that he shot, died 33 years later. This is important. And uh, the coroner said he ruled it a homicide. So now we got a dead guy a couple years back, 33 years after the incident. We got Hinckley Jr. right here. And Pierce Morgan says something along the lines of, so you killed Secretary Brady. And he goes, yes, I did. Now we're having a moment of pause and I, I kind of look around. So we got the panel, the, the power panel. Obviously, I brought up the good-looking factor. Ari and Joe Concha brought up the smart factor. So we're, we're a good panel. Pierce is here, and we're kind of like, I think that was a fucking exclusive. He just admitted that he murdered that dude. He's, so, you know, I'm not a lawyer. We don't know how we get into um, uh, double jeopardy and all that shit. But it's like I'm sitting like, Christ, I was here when Hinckley admitted he murdered the press secretary trying to kill Ronald Reagan. I'm sitting here listening to him say it. And so I called my, my brother Tom at home, and I'm like, Tom, you're not going to fucking believe what just happened. And Tommy, he, and he was using sort of the thing that I say. He's like, yeah, you're, you're, you are once again like the, um, like the Forrest Gump of the Navy, except you don't have a best good friend or a shrimp boat. <laughs> so, uh, so that's how we're going to start this one this week. And again today, because we're talking about the economy and we're talking about inflation, uh, I've traveled the world and there are two things I know. Mismanaged governments lead to economic destruction and gold has value everywhere on the planet. Whether it's incompetence or intent, the result is the same. Rising inflation and wasteful government spending are destroying the U.S. dollar. That's why I partner with Allegiance Gold and want you to diversify your portfolio. My friends at Allegiance Gold can help you protect your IRA or 401k with physical gold or silver, or if you prefer, have it delivered securely right to your front door. Their approach is different. They focus on educating and developing a long-term strategy that is right for you. That's why Allegiance Gold has some of the highest ratings in the industry. Five stars with TrustLink, a AAA rated with the Business Consumer Alliance and an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau. So go to protectwiththeoperator.com and get up to $2,500 of free silver on a qualifying purchase when you tell them the operator sent you or give them a call. And that number is 844-790-9191. That's 844-790-9191. We cannot control the Biden administration, but we can prepare for the consequences of their mismanagement of our country. Protectwiththeoperator.com. That's protectwiththeoperator.com or call 844-790-9191. So it is getting closer to the midterm elections. Uh, this episode of the Operator Podcast is not going to be about that. Episode 11 is not about the elections, even though you'll notice it always seems to be about elections, especially with like congressmen because their terms are two years. So they spend uh, a year and a half of those two years campaigning for the next two years, for the next two years, for the next two years. They're always trying to get another term, so they're always campaigning. So it's always and it's always the same shit. It's always it's always the same stuff. It's uh, you know you, people yelling about abortion, people yelling about everyone's racist, people yelling about uh, this. You know it's it's the same stuff, pretty much all the time because they know that we'll 
will all yell at each other. If, 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 you're, if you're into the group think and you're only on one side of the aisle, that we shouldn't be. And we being the audience, the operators here, it's okay to listen to other side, different arguments, but it's always the same shit because they know they're going to get the, the ratings. Um, uh, so we will get into politics eventually. I, I don't like to get too much into it just because it's, it's just so polarizing and they're also full of shit anyway. But, but right now, I mean, with what we're dealing that's affecting us personally due to politicians is you think about, um, put this in perspective because our memories are so short. If you look back... And I know some of you are younger than this, and actually for some of this I don't remember, but if you think back how the government's pretty much lied to us about Iraq, weapons of mass destruction, some stuff in Afghanistan, they lied about Syria, Libya, Benghazi, um, Vietnam, that whole debacle, a bunch of different politicians, Iran, Contra scandal, um, you know, Venezuela, Guatemala, Honduras, you got North Korea, weapons of mass destruction, what the hell's going on there, Haiti, Cuba, they lied about Panama, like I said earlier, Nicaragua. But they got to be telling the truth about um, Ukraine, right? See, the thing with Ukraine is I think we can all be in agreement that the people suffering are the civilians because they're, um, they're getting killed because of, of, of political stuff. Now, Vladimir Putin, I'm, I'm reading a – it's like a, an 800-plus page book about his life. It's interesting in some, not interesting in, in other parts. I mean, we can agree he's a dickhead. But, you know, why is he doing it, how he's annexing parts of Ukraine so that he can say, well, this is Russian territory, so we can attack them. And he's, he's, he's starting uh, to re-engaging attacks on civilians. The civilians are, are um, getting hurt, and we, we, we're helping them, which we agree we should help the civilians. Zelensky's in there as a, a former actor, and we're pumping billions over there. Doesn't, not sure where it goes. Not sure how many uh, land cannons that affords. But now it's like to the point where um, Russia is being supplied with Iranian drones uh, because they, they use something like 70% of their uh, precision guided munitions is the word that I'm getting. But when we get into the politics of this, the money's got to go somewhere and people people need, uh, people, the government needs to spend money then to make money. And the way the government makes money is through the taxpayer. And the way they can really make a lot of money is by war and more importantly, preparation for war. So we're prepping for this war, but what you'll notice is that... Um, they, uh, the, the energy thing fits right into a lot of the Democrats' playbook because they can say, well, the, they can blame the gas prices. They call it the Putin price hikes, which is bullshit because we could be producing our own energy right now. We could, I mean, it's not going to be as simple as turn it back on because they shut down the Keystone Pipeline. Um, and it's, it's not just turn it back on and it's pumping. But with that and the fracking in like eastern Montana and from the Dakotas and Texas, the natural gas we stuff, the stuff we have in, in, in Pennsylvania, which I'm still amazed can, can be considered a blue district because of the miners, the blue-collar workers, hopefully that'll change. And not that I'm a Republican either. I'm independent. But I, I hope people start to see what's actually happening here and why because this bullshit gas price is affecting everything. That's what's infect, affecting inflation because the gas price goes up and that means everything from where you drive. Because we well, got to figure now, and like back in August, um, the, the polls, I don't believe polls either. And I'll tell you why. Because with polls, um, it, it, people aren't going to admit that they're a Trump supporter because it could get violent for them. People don't really hang fl flags. Not you know They do in uh, Florida, but you don't see people walking around with hats on. You get your ass whooped. Someone will jump you because it's violent. Uh, the best way to conduct a poll or to find out, don't ask someone who, who 
would you vote for? Ask them, who would your neighbor vote for? It's a safer bet for them. But I don't really believe the polls. But back in August, they what they, people weren't that concerned about inflation until September. And then all of a sudden, oh, I got to... I got to fill the car because the kids are back in school. Look how expensive these uh, supplies for the kids are now. Wow. Why is that going up? The gas is up. It's expensive to heat now because gas prices affect everything. That affects your groceries now. That affects uh, travel. The holidays are coming up. I mean, I know it's not even Halloween, and we're already hearing that fucking All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey, which I'm going to blow my brains out. Um, But, um, you know, people aren't buying houses anymore uh, because of the rates, because, you know, the inflation rate and all this stuff. It it all comes back to... um, to gas prices, if it wouldn't again be turning the gas back on, because you need to deal with the the contractors. The, who's gonna Who's gonna pay this money? Just you know, even if Republicans or whatever um, take the House and the Senate, and then eventually, who knows if you know if Biden can even stand up by the time the second term might come around. Um, who knows what's going to happen four years after that, two years after that, because I'm not going to invest all this money when some leftist is going to come in and just shut it off because we have flying unicorn cars or whatever the fuck they're. They're talking about. But um, the thing that I wanted to talk about, because I have been asked about this, and we're going to go, we went from fun to not so much fun, so we're going to go a little bit hardcore here, uh, and then we'll you know start off fast, and then we'll try to end it more fun, like as opposed to um, when I used to, uh, I would tell people, like because uh, there's a lot of people on the internet or whatever that do their intense workouts, and I would get asked, like as a senior guy at CL Team 2, they would say, well, well, how do you like to do like your long runs? How do you do it? And I'm like, well, what I like to do is I start off slow and then I gradually taper off. Like I'm running for um, um, accuracy. Like I want to end where I started. That's my run. Um, but uh, the, I don't know what the point of that was. But but um, the, what's being thrown around here because of Ukraine, and you'll notice these politicians will say it because they love that soundbite. Man, if they get that fucking soundbite, they get the 24-hour news cycle. I'm on this. Look at my face on TV. A lot of people on both sides. Lindsey Graham is a Republican senator, and he loves to say nuclear war. President Joe Biden, nuclear holocaust, as he's eating fucking ice cream. And they're, they're throwing this around because they can say the Putin gas hikes and all this stuff. I mean, even to the point where um, they're saying... Um, we're getting back to the energy thing because it's all it's all gas related. I don't know if you've noticed, like a lot of the wars we fight. Look at the deposits in Afghanistan, in Ukraine. Look at uh, um, um, uh, oil. We've been to war in Iraq twice. We're still over there. There's a lot of oil in Syria, but it comes to the point where a lot of these leftists they're so afraid of their own party that um, they won't admit we got to turn the fucking oil on. Like look, look, renewable energy, awesome. Windmills, awesome. Um, if we can do electric or whatever they come up with, great. You can't store it right now. We're not there yet. You got to keep the gas on. I mean, for national security. So you got Joe Biden going over to Saudi Arabia, doing a fist bump with uh, what's his nuts, and just looking like a jackass. And then uh, they, you know he's begging them, don't just don't do it until after the midterms. Don't don't hold back the two million two million barrels a day till after the midterms. You notice that shit too? After the midterms, after the midterms. Wait till we get reelected. Um, they'll talk about their bullshit with the. Um, Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, it's, it's going to set in after the midterms. And then no one notices. And if you let their, if you're dumb enough to vote for some of these people, you get the fucking politicians you deserve. But they're going to these OPEC nations. And uh, I, don't, I don't have enough time to get into OPEC per se, but a lot of people probably don't know what OPEC is. So p- now picture this. We have our strategic oil reserve as the United States. We were energy independent under the last president, under President Trump. Now we're not. And we're depleting our security, our uh, reserves, to try to keep gas prices from skyrocketing, which they will, until when? 
until after the midterm. So we can get rid of our shit for, for global security, and we'll just go beg OPEC, right? We'll go beg Saudi Arabia. And they don't really, believe it or not, they don't like us. I'll tell you. So OPEC is a, an intergovernment organization of 13 countries. And the first five were Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela. A lot of oil in Venezuela. We'll get to them in a minute, too. Uh, here, so there's, th- there's 13, th- that was the original five. There's 13 members now. So that's in alphabetical order off the top of my head. <laughs> Algeria, Angola, Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Libya, Nigeria, the Republic of Congo, which is run by China, <laughs> Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates, and again, Venezuela. Here's what's brilliant about these guys. Guess where their headquarters is? Oh, that's right, Vienna, Austria, which isn't a member OPEC, but it's just nice to be in Austria. Kind of like the fucking UN. Eh, headquartered in New York, even though they can eat a dick. Um, so uh, anyway, so that's them. And they, they produced, uh, th- so in 2018, back when we had independence, basically, uh, those 13 members accounted for an estimated 44% of global oil production and 81.5% of the world's oil reserves. So there's these guys. We're going to go over there and ask them. The reason, so our strategic oil reserves are basically near the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, our, the sheer size of the, the strategic reserves is, is supposed to be 714 million barrels. And that is a deterrent to uh, like oil import cutoffs. And uh, it's, a, it's a key tool in foreign policy and in stabilization of that market. The reserve is now at its lowest level that has been since 1984, which is around 450 million barrels. Um, yeah, and that was after an OPEC oil embargo in 1975, blah, blah, blah. The government wanted to ensure the country had oil in case of future supply cutoff. So this is a reserve in case we go to war, in case we need fuel, in case something else to stabilize NATO, our, our allies, because of a war. But now we have politicians trying to get reelected. So what are we going to do to keep our base flamed? Well, we'll talk about green energy. Oil's bad. We'll turn it off. We need to keep the prices down, though. What do we do? Well, let's beg Saudi Arabia. No, they're going to tell us to go fuck ourselves, which they did. Well, let's just use our strategic oil reserves. They were We filled them. Now they're not. They're at the lowest point you know, in a long, long time. So... Um, what the leadership is slowly reasoning here, I, realizing here, the failure of leadership, because you got the president out there licking ice cream, right? Now, as a world leader, and I love ice cream. I fucking love it. I mean, we talk politics. Like Ben and Jerry is as left as you can get. I will not stop eating their ice cream. Now, I, I do know a guy in haagen so I'm kind of jumping on that train, too. I love ice cream so much. Your politics can sit down with me at the table. Let's talk flying cars. I'm going to eat this shit. I'm not going to lick a cone in front of cameras. Sorry. It just it looks very, I don't know. I've never been to prison, but licking something in front of a camera seems a little vulnerable. Vulnerable. So uh, anyway, but 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 to sit there and lick ice cream, ice cream cone and say the economy is fine, you're, you're lying. Because the economy now... Is coming down to what you're paying. How much will it cost you? I mean, they're offering you tax credits for your soon-to-be electric house. So maybe in a couple of years after the next midterm or the next presidential election, maybe you'll see some tax credit. But you're seeing it now. And people are making the decisions of whether or not I can afford... What, what do I need to cut out of the diet so my kid can have pencils? Uh, what, 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 what do we need to do to... What, what route do I need to take because gas is so expensive? And don't let bullshit. That's what, what America... I think, for elected officials, and again, the two-party system's fucking us. Uh, hopefully it's changing. I mean, it's getting so volatile now, it's, it's something's got to give. But basically, what I think, what I want is safety, security, and the freedom to prosper. 
That's what we got. But we're not having it now. Why? Because those assholes are in D.C. They don't, a lot of their constituents don't even know who their representatives are because they're not at home. They're in D.C. having the cocktail hour talking about the midterms, talking about how do I get my, you know, seriously, it's about personal power. Does Nancy Pelosi even realize she's a a representative from California? I mean, is she? She, You know, just so happens to have, all they're talking about is the January 6th bullshit. How did Nancy uh, Pelosi have a camera crew in her office on the January 6th insurrection, where the only person who was murdered was uh, an unarmed veteran by a cop that I think had a negligent discharge. But anyway, that's worse than 9-11, according to some of these people trying to get reelected. But uh, safety, security, and the freedom to prosper. What these politicians now are throwing around is the word nuclear. Nuclear war, nuclear holocaust, nuclear war. It could be a tactical nuke. This is not good, and people have asked me. What, what's the deal with nuclear war? And I'm going to break it down. Like I said, we're gonna, this, is, this is where we go fast, and then hopefully we have fun after. So I've mentioned before on this podcast how important it is to get a good night's sleep. That's why you need to check out Ghost Bed. They are the coolest mattresses in the world. They're very comfortable. They will last forever, and they're made in the USA. Every mattress has a 20-year warranty. Some even have a 25-year warranty. You can try them out for 101 nights. If you don't like them, you can send them back. No hard feelings. One of my favorite parts about Ghost Bed is that each mattress has cooling technology in it. So if you get a hot night, it's going to be cool. Like I said, the coolest beds in the world. It also, Ghost Bed offers bundles so you can get everything you need. You don't even really need to think about it. Just choose from their four mattresses and then pick your bundle. So whether you just need a mattress or a frame or you want it all, like their cooling pillows and sheets, you can get the best bang for your buck. Check out ghostbed.com. There's great savings there right now, up to 50% off. You need to go to ghostbed.com. So because Putin has failed miserably and apparently lost something like, I don't know if I said this before, I think it's 70% of his tactical weapons have been used, and so now he's getting drones from Iran, and they're calling them um, kamikaze drones, whatever, I don't think. If any, anyone's not on them, that's that's not a, a kazi, kamikaze drone. It's like a really inexpensive bomb, but he's getting them from Iran, and then we're uh, doing whatever, but, but Putin is now getting pissed, and, and you got to figure he's backed himself in a hole where he's saying nuclear now, because what he's done is he's annexed certain parts that he claims are Russian, which means now, as Ukrainians push them out, which they're doing, and they're going to continue to do, he said a resp- he's saying that's an attack on his sovereign nation. And some of these Russians are nuts. I had a, an Uber driver in middle America, I shit you not, a couple of weeks ago, and she was explaining me why the Russians are the victims. Like, no shit, telling me how the Russians are victims in this. And, like, she believed it. Like, a lot of these people believe it. So when, when Vladimir Putin says that they're being invaded now by Ukrainians out of their sovereign land near Crimea— then they use tactical nukes. And the problem with nukes is um, it's getting thrown around. And, and if this, Ukraine's not a NATO country. It's not part of the um, organization. But if it bleeds over to a NATO country like Estonia or Poland, God forbid, a direct U.S.-Russian confrontation could take place with runaway nuclear escalation because you got these loose-lipped politicians, you know, talking about this. And, and, um, the world is arguably right now, even though we're not talking about it today, I hope we're not tomorrow, but we're arguably closer to nuclear conflict than um, the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis, again with Russia. 
So what would a full-scale nuclear exchange look like? I'm have to take some, I have to read some of my notes here because uh, I'm not a scientist. I was studying it. It's horrifying. <laughs> um, is, it, is it truly going to be an Armageddon, or is it survivable? Survivable for some of us. I'm going to start this off. A statement again. I mentioned Reagan earlier, a great president. In 1985, President Reagan and Soviet General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev said that, uh, no, he told Gorbachev that uh, nu- nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. And that's as simple as it gets. It, can, it, can, it cannot be won by either side and should never be fought. Many scientists have investigated this question, um, but they, they haven't been doing it recently because even they don't want to really study it in, in peacetime. Unfortunately for us, uh, we are no longer in peacetime, and we're really close to this, especially with these dudes that are just throwing this shit around. Um, so the latest assessment, I'm going to give you a current inventory. The latest assessment, I didn't do it, so I had to borrow someone else's studies. I wasn't welcome there. Um, Russian nuclear military capability estimates that earlier this year, 2022, Russia has a stockpile of about 4,500 nuclear warheads. And they have some that are retired, you know, quote unquote. If they bring them to bear, that's 6,000 Warheads, nuclear warheads. The U.S., we have a, a similar inventory, 5,500 war, uh, warheads. Um, 3,800 warheads <laughs> that are rapidly deployable. So that, here's where we get into stuff that's called megatons. About 3 million tons, megatons, of TNT, 3 megatons of TNT were detonated in all of World War II. 3 megatons. So for comparison, because we're talking about our submarines now, our submarines are basically going to be the ones that, that launched some of these big dogs. Uh, our allies have submarines, mainly we in the UK. Uh, we carry four megatons of TNT equivalent on 40 nuclear warheads, meaning each submarine can cause more explosive destruction than took place in World War II, the whole fucking World War II. So that's bad. I mean, depending on what your de- definition of bad is, that's that's bad. So mo- most of our nuclear deterrent, they're deterrents on our subs, which I said. So um, uh, th- here's a good one. Now, we're, we're asking what kind of subs. And, and again, we, we did go through Navy ships in one of these episodes. Uh, so our subs with the nukes are the SSBN. So SS subsurface, B for ballistic, and then N for nuclear. Uh, on June 4th, Members of the U.S. Congress and U.S. Navy officials joined employees of General Dynamics Electric Boat, so GDEB, in a keel laying ceremony for the U.S. Navy's next generation Columbia class nuclear ballistic missile sub, SSBN. Guess what they're naming it? <laughs> so it's, we name our ships after important stuff, our ships. And uh, we've talked about it before. This one, the first one, the first um, Columbia class is going to be the USS District of Columbia. The USS Washington, motherfucking D.C., the SSBN 826. <laughs> We're naming it after D.C. It's awesome that, uh, okay, during the, here's how this works. During the keeling ceremony, the, the ship's sponsor initials, so General Dynamics initials are welded onto a steel plate for installation on the sub. So it will remain throughout the boat's service to remind the crew of the strong bond between the vessel and her sponsor. So... So General Dynamics makes a ship called the Washington, D.C., not even in D.C., because D.C., if you notice, doesn't produce anything. They got their money from a government contract, which came from you. So you paid for it. (laughs) The taxpayer pays for it. And they're building it um, 
the, 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 the USS District of Columbia up in Rhode Island or something like that. So it's the first ship in this class built for the U.S. Navy. I mean, and again, yeah, General Dynamics is awesome. And these big government contractors, they do build us the good shit. Like when, when I'm out there in combat, when I was cheering for the Hellfire, cheering for the Apache on the sub, on the goddamn carrier. Good on you. And there's some kick-ass scientists and shit that work there. It's just funny you got to put their name there because they sponsored whatever. So with the Columbia-class program, the Navy has entrusted um, Electric Boat to deliver the next 60 years of nuclear deterrence for our nation, continuing the company's legacy of delivering the finest, most technically advanced submarines in the world. Now, a deterrent is, um, is one of the triage, right? So deterrence, forward defense, and alliance solidarity. But a deterrent means... Um, you tell someone, don't do this, or we will do that. And, that, and that's, that's how, if we had leadership, Putin might not have invaded Ukraine. If we had leadership, you know, China is getting so close to invading Iran, which is, that's a whole different subject because they take Iran, uh, Taiwan. Did I say Iran? Taiwan. <laughs> China, I hope they don't take Iran. Um, if they take Taiwan, then they own the Western Pacific shipping lines, and that's, again, another... Um, um, Another subject, another podcast. But these submarines are critical for our national defense. Well, by the commitment to excellence of our shipbuilders, they got to pump the shipbuilders. It's like when a NASCAR driver wins a race. you got to talk about Tide and Ford and my great folks over at fucking Keystone Light or whatever. Um, let's see what else they say. The Columbia class will be the largest, most capable, most advanced submarine produced by our nation. So the largest class of submarines ever built. Again, badass. Um, let's talk about these Columbia class nuclear subs. They will replace the 14 aging Ohio class. They call them boats. That's kind of cool. I love they call the, the master chief the chief of the boat. That's pretty dope. Um, you know the difference between a ship and a boat, technically? Did you want to get into that? Is, um, is when a boat turns, it, it leans inboard, and when a ship turns, it leans outboard. Pretty cool. A little food for... And also, I heard that uh, you can transfer a boat over land. You can't transfer a ship over land. But anyway, that's replacing the 14 aging Ohio class boats. Uh, and they will begin retiring in 2027 if we live to see that. And the construction of this boat, the USS Politician, uh, it began October 1st of 2020. Um, so this, this Columbia class will be longer and heavier than the Ohio class, subservice ballistic nuclear subs, and will have a complex electric drive propulsion system and associated technology. Now, this is pretty cool, too. Like I said, the people working there... Nothing but love for them. It's just the way they get the money and the uh, the government uh, officials and politicians who get reelected because of the money they can give to these guys. Um, uh, the the marine propulsion of of, um, of a ship or sub is the like the nukes. Like the, I don't know why these um, greenies, these people that are so in love with you know throwing soup on the on the shit and gluing their hands to the shit because we're I don't know why they don't love nuclear. Because nuclear is a mission-free and it lasts forever. Like, you could get some nuclear shit the size of a Snickers bar and power your car forever until you die. Um, but with a nuclear reactor, this, uh, like in a, in a nuclear on a sub, the, 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 uh, the heat provided by a nuclear reactor, it actually uh, it turns it into propulsion or some shit like that, which is awesome. Uh, the, I'll read it here. The power plant heat heats water to produce steam from a turbine used to turn the ship's propeller through a gearbox and through an electric generator and a motor. And that's, again, man shit. I mean, sorry, I said that. Uh, people shit. Um, so th this uh, Columbia-class sub will carry 16 missiles each, 
which in total will represent approximately 70% of the country's operational nuclear deterrent arsenal. What that means is 70% of our fuck-up is on these subs. That's why I'm getting into the subs. That's why they are cool, and thanks again for the contractors. Uh, the new subs will also, this is cool, will feature the joint American-British-developed Common Missile Compartment, the CMC. Don't be offended there, Command Master Chiefs. The Common Missile Department... On the Royal Navy's new Dreadnought class submarines, man, I'm starting to dig the Navy and the Royal Navy. They got some badass subs, man. Um, with this, the new upgraded and stealthy Mark 48 torpedo. So, in addition to the 16 missiles, these new subs will be equipped with an upgraded variant of the Mark 48 Mod 7 torpedo. So, this torpedo. <laughs> It can destroy targets at ranges of up to five miles and travels at speeds of greater than 28 knots, which in human terms is 32 miles per hour, and that is fast in the water. So these are the um, – these are. I just want to talk about the subs again. Uh, uh, that's awesome. General Dynamics is awesome. I love the fact that they named the first one the USS District of Columbia. I mean, the jokes are seriously writing themselves. Um, but that is our deterrent. And before you know, we had the deterrence, uh, now they're talking about nuclear war. Yep. And we're going to get into that. So we're talking about potential scenarios with crazy people on the button. And I think right now it's time to get as much emergency food as you can. Right now you can stock up and save a ton of money because for just a few more days, my Patriot Supply is knocking $250 off of their three-month emergency food kit. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com right now to get this great deal. My Patriot Supply is charging less so they can help families more. This is the lowest price in three years, but they can't do this for long. Forces in the world are hell-bent on the destruction of the American economy and the American way of life. There may come a day when you can only depend on yourself. Will you be ready? Will you be prepared? So go to PrepareWithRob.com. And you'll save $250 on each three-month emergency food kit you acquire. Again, this is the lowest price in years. Your orders ship fast and they ship for free. Don't wait for grocery stores to run out. Don't wait for those shelves to be empty. They have before and they will again. So go to preparewithrob.com right now. That is preparewithrob.com. So in order to get into this, we need to back up a little bit how it started. Because the United States, even though we see ourselves as the greatest nation of all time. We are the only country to ever drop the bomb twice um, on cities, which we did in Japan to end World War II. <clears throat> this all started, if you can back up a little bit, we were having an influx of migrants to the country, not through the southern border like we are right now. It was in uh, Ellis Island in New York in the 1930s. And one of the guys who came through... And he actually got his, uh, he, he got his citizenship pretty easy because he was a Nobel Prize winner. His name was um, Albert Einstein. He came up with the theory of relativity, which is um, E equals MC squared. Uh, energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. So smart dude. And he actually left. He was, he was a Nobel Prize winner, but he wasn't taken very seriously. His work was dismissed as mere Jewish physics by another Nobel laureate, Philip Leonard, who served as the chief of Aryan physics for the Third Reich. Uh, I'm assuming not a good guy. But um, uh, so Einstein was a lifelong pacifist, but there was a, a letter that was written to FDR, to Franklin Roosevelt, who was the 
um, the president at the time, as the Germans were building up, the letter was not written by Einstein. It was actually written by a few, by four Hungarian scientists, and Einstein was working with them on something like a new refrigerator or whatever, but, but Einstein understood it, and he signed a letter to the president warning that the Nazis might be developing nuclear weapons. Einstein urged the United States to stockpile uranium ore and begin work on its own atomic weapons. And I guess when he was um, talking about it later, if he could undo that, he would, because because of the Nazis' um, policies, if you will, a lot of the scientists left. They never did develop the bomb. But trying to be a deterrent, started the Manhattan Project that invented the atomic bomb. So we're the ones that dropped it. In 1945, the United States attacked Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki with atomic bombs, giving us two real-world examples of the effects of nuclear weapons on human populations. So a total of 140,000 people in Hiroshima and 73,000 people in Nagasaki died instantly or within five months. And from what I've been studying here, that might not be the worst way to go in a nuclear holocaust. So that's due to the the nuclear blast, intense radiant heat from the fireball and ionizing radiation. Many people caught within 1,000 meters of ground zero were carbonized by heat rays and those up to 1.5 kilometers away suffered flash burning with large areas of skin peeling off. Uh, some, especially those inside buildings, were, reserved, were reduced to white bones as all flesh was vaporized from the intense heat. Okay, so um, that's, that's the beginning. Many of the survivors suffered acute radiation sickness from neutron and gamma rays released by the nuclear fission in the blast. Symptoms included, um, but not limited to, hair loss, fever, intense thirst, and bloody diarrhea. Now, I think diarrhea itself is bad enough. Bloody diarrhea sucks. Many died later, and I don't want to die of diarrhea and hair loss, as well as direct radiation from fireballs they were exposed to. Uh, they were also radioactive fallout from the bomb itself. The longer-term effects of radiation have been intensely studied include increased levels of leukemia and solid cancer. So... Hiroshima and Nagasaki show that apart from short-term radiation sickness, long-term radiation from fallout will be the least of our problems in case we have the nuclear war they're talking about. Uh, Much more serious will be social collapse, famine, and basically the breakdown of planetary biosphere. So there's been studies done, like I said earlier. There's what they call the limited nuclear conflict. That's 100 warheads. Limited. 100 warheads, and they, they war games it. I don't know how war game is even a word. Is it a compound word or hyphen, hyphenated? Between India and Pakistan, because they're near each other, they border each other, they both have nuclear weapons. So prior to the Ukraine war, it seemed very unlikely that the superpowers would ever get back to the level where we are right now, even though we might not talk about it, except in you know on our way to happy hour if I'm a politician. So um, many researchers turned to the study of the impacts of more limited limited nuclear conflicts. One study, and this is published two years ago, looked at the likely impacts of nuclear exchange of about 100 Hiroshima-sized detonations on the most populated urban areas of India and Pakistan. Each detonation was estimated to incinerate an area of five square miles, incinerate, with the scenario generating about five teragrams of soot and smoke from the wildfires and burning buildings to enter into the atmosphere. Direct human deaths were, and, and is limited, nuclear war would presumably number in the tens to hundreds of millions dead. That's the limited war. The planetary impacts were also severe. As the soot reaches the stratosphere, that's when it starts to 
circulate globally. Uh, it block, blocks incoming solar radiation, you know, from the sun and dropping the Earth's surface temperature by about 35 degrees Fahrenheit in the first five years. So you can, after the first few nuclear blasts, you can forget about global warming. Of course, you know, not for the first few seconds. So this would be greater cooling than caused by any recent volcanic eruption or uh, any climate deviation in the past thousand years. Rainfall patterns are drastically altered and total precipitation declines by about 8%. These results come from widely used climate models, the same type used to project long-term impacts of greenhouse gas emissions and stuff like that. Food exports collapse as uh, stocks are depleted within a single year. And by year four, a total of 1.3 billion people face a loss of about a fifth of their current food supply. So the research concluded that a regional conflict using less than 1% of the worldwide nuclear arsenal could have adverse consequences for global food security unmatched in modern history. This is a limited nuclear attack. So a 2014 study, the same scenario of a 100-weapon nuclear exchange between India and Pakistan, mind you, found that suit penetrating the stratosphere would cause severe damage to the Earth's ozone layer, increasing UV penetration by 30 to 80% over the mid-latitudes. This would cause widespread damage to human health, agriculture, terrestrial and aquatic ecosystems. The combined cooling and enhanced UV would put significant pressure on global food supplies and trigger a global nuclear famine, limited nuclear attack. That's limited. So that's, that's just with two countries in Asia. Okay. So that's the good nuclear war. Now, this one is, I guess, what we'd call the meat and potatoes. This is a full-scale nuclear exchange. This is a study that was done. What's going to happen? If global nuclear famine could result from the first one, the good one, just 100 nuclear detonations, what would happen in a fuller exchange of several thousand warheads that we currently have in a bunch of different inventories between the United States and Russia? So one study that they did looked at a Russia-U.S. nuclear war scenario where Russia would target 2,200 weapons on Western countries. So not just the United States, but Western countries. And the U.S. would target 1,100 weapons on Russia ooh, and China. So 4,400 warheads would detonate, equivalent to roughly half of the current inventories held by the U.S. and Russia. Nuclear-held uh, weapons by other states were not even used in this scenario, which has, uh, the, the ones that aren't used has a, 40, a 440 megaton explosive yield, equivalent to about 150 times of all the bombs detonated in World War II. The, the, this full-scale nuclear war was estimated to cause 770 million direct deaths and generate 180 teragrams. So teragrams, that's 1 million metric tons of soot from burning cities and forests and people. Uh, in the U.S., about half the population would um, would be within 3.1 miles. Each of us would be 3.1 miles from ground zero, and a fifth of the country's citizens would be killed outright, which is the way you want to go in this one. Uh, another study published a little bit later looked at comparable but slightly lower. So they're talking 150 teragrams atmospheric soot into the uh, atmosphere following a, like an equivalent nuclear war. Uh, the devastation causes so much smoke that only 30 to 40% of sunlight reaches the Earth's surface for the next six months. A massive drop in temperature follows, with the weather staying, the weather staying below freezing throughout the subsequent northern hemisphere during summer. So in Iowa, for example, the model shows temperature staying below, 32, below freezing, 32 degrees, 0 degrees Celsius, for 730 straight days. 
There is no growing season. This, boys and girls, is what we call a true nuclear winter. And uh, it's not just a short blip. Temperatures still drop below freezing in the summer for several years thereafter. This is the big war. And global precipitation falls by half by years three and four. It takes over a decade for anything like what we're used to, climatic normality, to return to the planet. By this time, most of the Earth's human population will be long dead. The world's food production would crash by more than 90%, causing global famine that would kill billions through starvation and, you know, other things like eating each other and then dying from the radiation because the dude you just ate is infected. Um, In most countries, less than a quarter of the population survives by the end of year two. Global fish stocks are decimated and the ozone layer collapses. So we're basically on Mars. Um, So this is the 440 warhead, 150 um, teragrams of nuclear war scenario averaging over the Next five years, China sees a reduction in food calories of 97.2%, France by 97.5%, Russia by 99.7%, the UK by 995 US by 989 So we're the lowest, but still basically everything's gone. Uh, in all the countries, virtually everyone who has survived the initial blast would starve or whatever unpleasant ways to die um, that you can think of. Imagine people running around. So uh, even the, the the lower of the global nuclear holocaust, the 150 teragram suit nuclear war scenario, in orders of magnitude, how much smoke and other particles put in the atmosphere by an asteroid. So the asteroid that hit the Earth to end the Cretaceous period 65 million years ago, killing everything, um, wasn't wasn't even that. So it's about about um, it, it killed about two thirds of the species alive. That that huge global killer asteroid. The only thing surviving this nuclear blast apparently would be crocodiles, cockroaches, and fucking nerds. But um, so, th- so anyway, it implies that some humans would survive uh, eventually to like repopulate the planet. Is the way these scientists said it. I'm thinking like a Mad Max scenario, only a little bit worse. And Tina Turner's probably not saying it for you. Um, and that a species-level extinction of Homo sapiens is unlikely, unlikely, they say in quotes, even after a full-scale nuclear war. But the vast majority of us would suffer extremely unpleasant deaths from burns, radiation, starvation, human catastrophe, cannibalism, and uh, civilization as we know it. And I'm talking as we know it, like living collapses entirely. Um, So survivors would basically eke out the rest of their miserable lives on a devastated and barren planet. So um, this is the um, this shared understanding of the consequences of nuclear Armageddon that led to that 1985 statement by President Reagan to Gorbachev that a nuclear war cannot be won and therefore must not be fought. And then it was reaffirmed allegedly by President Biden and now Putin in Russia. It cannot be won and must never be fought. And instead of thinking of um, of uh, your midterms and your power. Imagine the world as you, I mean, as you know it. Like there's a um, right now. I mean, they're bombing. Ch- they're bombing children's hospitals and in, in, in Ukraine and targeting civilians. And, and and we need cool heads to prevail. Is what I'm getting at. The price of nuclear escal. The price of nuclear escalation is planetary suicide. One won't stop the other. It, it, the deterrent must stop. Like Einstein said, that if if he would have known what he known, he would never have done it. Um, and it's, this is just, uh, how it is. There's a, I need to bring this up because this is how ridiculous these, these stupid ass politicians are. 
when I was in New York, I saw a video. It's like a it's a public service announcement, and it's of um. Um, a woman probably and she's obviously left the center and she just loves everyone and um, she's saying how in case of a nuclear they're talking about a nuclear blast just get outside immediately and then get into a building if you can and try to find a bunker if you can't find a bunker get to the center of the room and then wait for further instructions and she says at the end you got this New York well I'm gonna break this down for you you don't fucking got it New York what, 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 the next word? The satellites are gone. There is no communication. There's no more fucking people. You're in the center of a building waiting for the zombies. You don't got shit, New York. Pull your head out of your ass when you go to the polls. This is ridiculous. It's a global killer. It can't be done. Next time you hear a politician say it, give his office a call or tell your friend to call him or something. Global suicide, you don't got shit. So... I'm not trying to uh, end this on a sour note, but even though a lot of people in the media and in politics, they do sometimes tell you what they want to hear simply because they want to get reelected. And that's it. And they're, they're afraid of the truth. And sometimes if you tell the truth, if you hit them with facts, they're going to call you names because they don't like the facts because it doesn't fit their agenda and it, doesn't, it, it hurts them emotionally. And even uh, former President Barack Obama was on a podcast the other day talking about how wokeism is a buzzkill. Um, they're just, it's an attack on fun. Nobody wants to be walking around on eggshells. He's a little late with that, and he could step up and lead the left as far as that. But, I mean... Look at these kids that are that are dumping out milk in markets overseas, and it'll come here because they're convinced because someone told them that the dairy animals fart and that methane is going to destroy the ozone layer, which is ridiculous. They're spray painting car dealerships because the cars aren't all electric, even though they don't take the time to realize what it takes to make an ele- a battery for an electric car. All, all you need to mine for in the slave labor and the greenhouse emissions that it takes just to make that electric car. It's not really electric. Where do you think you charge it? The power doesn't come from that building. It probably comes from coal, right? Just they're, they're being told stuff to ride their emotions, so potentially they'll vote, and, and that side can win. The people at that the throw soup on the priceless works of art, uh, and then they glue themselves to the wall, their hands to the wall, not realizing what it takes to make glue. They're going against... They're so crazy on the far left. I'm surprised. These are the people that don't say the person is the problem in violence, it's the gun's problem. I'm surprised they haven't said, well, it wasn't those kids' fault, it was the can of soup's fault. But it's a buzzkill, and I think I, I hope people are waking up, but uh, a lot of these politicians, they're in spots where they're, they, they're uh, out of reality, too. They're surrounded by yes-men and staffers, and, and they're, all those yes-men and staffers, are, they, get, they got something in the game personally, their power. The staffers want a higher staff position. The, the politician wants to get reelected. And and they're they're not they're not in the they're not on the same planet as we are. Uh, Doctor Jill Biden was at the Eagles Cowboys game in Philly the other day, and she was getting booed. It, Philly is not a, a red city. We're going to find out whether or not it's a blue state, but um, she's getting booed, and they're doing the fun version of "Let's Go Brandon." They're saying it the other way though, right to her face in Philly. So people are sort of waking up. I hope. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan said, uh, to, to quote him, and again, this is sort of what he said, he said the, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. 
So be careful with that one. Uh, and again, not to get too morbid, um, I, I described what I was studying about nuclear war, and I did just to kind of put it in a perspective that the, what I've come up with is Earth as we know it will be gone. It'll sort of be like trying to live on Mars, but it's definitely going to destroy Uranus. So, so there's that. Um, but I will close in honor of something Joe Biden said the other day. I got two words for you. You're never out of the fight. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc